Binge Mode is presented by Universal Orlando Resort. Did you know about Universal Orlando Resort Hotels? When you stay in Universal, it's just a hop between the parks, city walk, and your room. And every morning you can breeze into one of three amazing theme parks an hour before other guests. Guests staying at select on-site hotels can skip the regular lines at the most popular attractions with free, yes, free, Universal Express Unlimited to Universal Studios Florida and Universal's Islands of Adventure. Go to www.universalorlando.com to book your stay today. Beach Mode is also brought to you by Sunglass Hut. Summer is here! It is. It's hot, and it's the hottest. Accessorize your summer wardrobe with great styles from Sunglass Hut at Macy's! From now until July 4th, Get 50% off the Sunglass Hut collection at Sunglass Hut at Macy's just in time for your 4th of July celebrations. Some exclusions apply. See Associate for details. Warning. Binge mode contains adult content. We will be discussing the way, spoiler, Tom Riddle catfished two prominent students of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So if that's not for you please check out the rewatchables. One more warning. Binge mode contains spoilers. If you don't yet know what a true Gryffindor can pull out of the hat, please proceed with extreme caution. And now, binge mode. I knew you'd come. I have many questions for you, Harry Potter. Like what? Harry spat, fists still clenched. (laughs) Well... Said Riddle, smiling pleasantly. How is it that you, a skinny boy with no extraordinary magical talent, managed to defeat the greatest wizard of all time? How did you escape with nothing but a scar while Lord Voldemort's powers were destroyed? There was an odd red gleam in his hungry eyes now. Why do you care how I escaped? Said Harry slowly. Voldemort was after your time. Voldemort, said Riddle softly, is my past, present, and future, Harry Potter. He pulled Harry's wand from his pocket and began to trace it through the air, writing three shimmering words. Tom Marvolo Riddle. Then he waved the wand once, and the letters of his name rearranged themselves. I am Lord Voldemort. I'm Mallory Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. Woo! That's a great website, guys. <laughs> sure is. Joining me today, now that he's finished healing my fatal wounds with his magical tears, the Ringer staff writer, your headmaster, Jason Concepcion. Mal. Yeah. Quick, grab my tail feathers. Always. I'll pull you up the pipe. <laughs> it's time for Binge Mode Harry Potter, where we're exploring every facet of the Harry Potter universe, whether you're phoenix or serpent or an arachnid or a wild flying car please subscribe on apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify or wherever you get your podcast and please rate and review us five points aka stars for binge mode only 
Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans, and which is a great place to report anyone in your neighborhood who's ever told you to follow the spiders. Terrible advice. That's how you'll figure out what's going on, guys. Follow the spiders. Yesterday on Binge Mode Harry Potter, we explored how identity shapes chapters 11 through 14 of the second book in the Harry Potter series, Chamber of Secrets. And on today's episode, we're diving deep into the book's final four chapters. Requisite spoiler warning for today's binge, as always. While Chamber chapters 15 through 18 are today's primary focus, we will be going deep on details from all seven books and eight films and the wider Potter canon, taking the entire series into account from the moment the tap in Myrtle's bathroom starts to spin. So hiss your command and slide down this pipe. Ooh! Because it's time to head to the Chamber of Secrets. Mal? Yeah? The thing that lives in the castle is an ancient creature we podcasters fear above all others. We do not speak of it. Well, do I remember how I pleaded with Isaac to let us go when we sensed the beast moving about the studio, but he insisted that it was time to offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in chapters 15 to 18 by climbing aboard this scarlet steam engine of plot, the Hogwarts Express. Chapter 15, Aragog. With Hagrid and Azkaban and Dumbledore suspended, Harry puzzles over the clues they left him. Dumbledore's advice that help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask. And Hagrid's seemingly much more straightforward. Follow the spiders. Very easy. Follow them. (laughs) After seeing some scurrying spiders while in herbology class, Harry and Ron set out that night with Fang. Poor sweet Fang. Tough chapter for Fang. Toward the place that those spiders were clearly moving, the Forbidden Forest. Deep in the woods, they encounter the Fort Anglia, which has apparently been dwelling there, growing wild, since the Whomping Willow crash. But just then, they meet something else. Spiders, who take them to Aragog, the huge monster that Hagrid kept as a pet 50 years ago. Aragog tells Harry and Ron that, no, I did not kill that girl all those years ago, and that he and his kind fear the thing that did kill her in the bathroom. And they fear that thing above all else. Aragog will not speak of the creature, even when asked by Hagrid, whom he's quite fond of. Who's he not fond of? Every other human, even friends of Hagrid's. So Aragog tells his followers, yeah, why don't you go ahead and uh, kill Harry and Ron and let's eat these guys. (laughs) Boom. Here comes the Ford Anglia, rushing in like Gandalf at Helm's Deep, (laughs) rescues them, carries them out of the forest. Later that night in the dormitory, Harry realized, wait a second, the bathroom? Did Aragog say in the bathroom? Who do I know that died in a bathroom? Could it be Moaning Myrtle? Chapter 16, The Chamber of Secrets. Hey, isn't that the name of this book? Yes. Shortly after their forest journey, Harry and Ron end up at Hermione's bedside following an aborted attempt to go chat with Myrtle. Harry spots something in Hermione's hand, pries it loose. It is a page torn from a book, and it is about... The Basilisk, King of Serpents. Hermione has written the word pipes on the page. This, they realize, must be what's attacking students, and it must be traveling from the chamber into the corridors using Myrtle's bathroom. Just then, McGonagall makes an announcement. All students to their dorms at once. Harry and Ron, who had been waiting in the staff room to share their information, hide in the wardrobe to spy on the teachers. They enter to discuss the latest. Ginny Weasley has been taken to the chamber. Something must be done. The faculty knows... How to solve at least one problem. Let's get rid of Gilderoy Lockhart by using his wealth of experience in situations just like this to goad him into a rescue attempt or die trying, whichever. It's fine. 
Just get him. Get him out of here. Just get him out of here. Bye, Gilderoy. Go curl your hair. Harry and Ron go to see Lockhart. From their perspective, who knows? Maybe he actually is going to go try. And if he's going to the chamber, the information they have could help. But the only chamber Lockhart is thinking of getting into is a cabin on a train out of town. His bags are packed. He's ready to split. Just one last thing to do. Obliviate Harry and Ron's memories of his cowardly flight now that they've sprung up on him and learned definitively that he is a fraud who has stolen all of his stories. Harry and his one true love, Expelliarmus. (laughs) Disarm Gilderoy. Harry and Ron lead him off to Myrtle's bathroom. Using his parcel tongue talent, Harry opens the entrance to the chamber and he and Ron and Gilderoy slide down, 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 down. Lockhart overpowers Ron. Great tackle. Gets low. Drives through the hips. Grabs Ron's wand, and then when he tries to obliviate the boys, Ron's broken wand backfires, causing a massive explosion, caving in the ceiling and wiping out Lockhart's mind. Harry tells Ron to wait with Lockhart. I'm going forward to rescue Ginny. Chapter 17, The Heir of Slytherin. There, at the end of a chamber lying in a heap under a truly gigantic statue of Salazar Slytherin. Cool dude. Very <laughs> chill guy, Salazar <laughs> Slytherin. <laughs> Is Ginny. She is, however, not alone. Tom Riddle is there too, but in blurry form. He takes Harry's wand and proceeds to tell Harry, helpfully, yes, everything. Thank you for that, Tommy. <laughs> that he's a memory, that he catfished Ginny, and that she's been acting under his control, that he framed Haggard not once, but twice, and that his real target is no longer the school's muggle borns. It's Harry James Potter himself. Finally, Tom reveals his self-assigned name. Drumroll, please. <laughs> Lord Voldemort! A.K.A. Moldy Voldy. <laughs> the Dark Lord would like to know, from the Chosen One's own lips, how Harry defeated him. Suddenly, is that Fox's music I hear? Literally his music? <laughs> it is. Here comes the phoenix carrying the sorting hat. He drops it at Harry's feet and it goes flying around the chamber. Riddle summons the basilisk, orders it to kill Harry. Fox claws at the snake's eyes, blinding it, buying Harry time. Help me, Harry pleads. Just then, the basilisk inadvertently pushes the sorting hat to Harry. He puts it on, once again begs for aid, and pulls the sword of Gryffindor from the hat. Harry kills the snake with it, but is wounded by one of the basilisk's fangs. As Riddle gloats, oblivious to Fox, the phoenix flies in, heals Harry with his tears, then flies off, retrieves the diary, drops it in Harry's lap. Harry stabs the book with the basilisk's fang, ending memory Riddle, destroying, though he doesn't know it yet, the first horcrux. Fox flies Harry, Ron, Ginny, and Lockhart out of the chamber, and they go to McGonagall's office. Chapter 18. Dobby's reward. Yeah. The Dobster. Dumbledore buys Harry and Ginny some cover by asking how Voldemort managed to entrance Ginny when he's, according to sources, Dumbledore doing his best woge here, yeah. is on the lam in the forests of Albania. Harry tells them about the diary. Meanwhile, the mandrake juice mm. has ripened and the basilisk's victims are awakening. Dumbledore calls for a feast. And for Harry and Ron to receive special services to the school awards, they can go right next to Tom Riddles. <laughs> and for 200 points apiece, 
For Gryffindor. Sure. Congratulations, yeah. my guys. Yeah, Ron got 50 points for the best played game of chess Hogwarts has ever seen, but for standing next to some rocks, he gets 200. Well, Makes sense. Was, that listen, tracks. He did go down there. Uh-huh. That tracks. Dumbledore and Harry then discuss Harry's concerns about his mm, admittedly alarming similarities to Tom Riddle. Then Lucius Malfoy comes in with Dobby, his house elf, mystery solved. Harry, aided by Dumbledore's speech and Dobby's knowing looks, tells Lucius that he knows he gave the diary to Ginny. Harry asks Dumbledore for the diary and rushes after Malfoy. Takes off a stinky sock, stuffs the diary into it, presses the foul bundle into Lucius's hands. Disgusted, Malfoy does exactly what Harry thought he would. Tosses the sock aside to Dobby, inadvertently freeing him. The students feast, the term ends. We learn that Percy was getting hot and heavy with Penelope in the dungeons, and everyone goes home. Until next fall! Jason? Yes? Did you think I was going to use my filthy muggle producer's name forever? I, in whose veins runs the blood of the ringer.com? <laughs> and that gets us to this episode's big idea. So what a great <laughs> website! <laughs> let's dive into the pensive to sift through our thoughts. The defining theme of chapters 15 through 18 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is Revelations. Chapter 15, Aragog. Look, no Hermione, no Hagrid, no Dumbledore. Fear is spreading through the castle, feeding on doubt, the absence of any real information. In the rare moments when someone laughs, it sounds unnatural. It's because it's all Malfoy (laughs) laughing constantly. (laughs) It's only Slytherins. What can Harry do? But repeat Dumbledore's words about only having truly left the school and none there are loyal to him to himself, trying to decipher their meaning. The words are impenetrable to Harry, as Dumbledore's intentions will so often be over the course of the series. But Harry will discover the meaning of the cipher when his need is the greatest, and that is the real magic of that line. It is, in many ways, the Harry-Dumbledore relationship in miniature. It's at once a bone and soul-deep bond and commitment that transcends anything resembling routine. It's also a test, a perpetual waiting game. What about Hagrid's words? To Harry and Ron, Hagrid's innocence is an article of faith. Sure, some of the details about the initial opening of the chamber as seen from Riddle's perspective look bad. Yeah, true, Hagrid does have a soft spot for dangerous creatures, but that's born of his innate empathy for the misbegotten and the misunderstood. He's not malicious. He'd never go out there looking to kill somebody. Norbert was sweet. Yeah, Norbert was sweet. He just Don't live in a wood house. He likes animals. And then everything's fine. He's not the sharpest guy, but he's got a big heart. And so Harry and Ron, spurred on by Hagrid's not really that subtle follow the spiders entreaty, grab Fang from Hagrid's hut, head to the Forbidden Forest to (laughs) follow the spiders. There they encounter the bedraggled Ford Anglia. The Weasley's former family automobile has been licking its wounds in the forest, turning wild since the day it crashed into the Whomping Willow. It moves, quote, exactly like a large turquoise dog greeting its owner. It's nice that the car still has warm feelings for these two boys who stole it and almost killed it. I know. Who knew? This was its fate. In the book and throughout the series, the forest acts as a repository for secrets and forgotten things, like the Anglia and Hagrid's old pet Aragog and Hagrid's half-brother. And it is a place where secrets wait to be revealed. Aragog's children waylay Harry and Ron moments after their reunion with the Anglia, and they take them and fang to Aragog. The ancient king of spiders is blind and the size of a small elephant, and it reveals what it knows about the last time the chamber was opened. We discover that. As we believed, 
Hagrid knew nothing about the attacks on students, and Aragog wasn't involved either. We learned that the deceased girl was attacked and killed in a bathroom. Dun, dun, dun. But that Aragog, man, listen, I like the dark. I like the quiet. I'm not about to go to a bathroom. There's a lot of moisture in there. It fucks with my sinuses. I'm not about that. Aragog does know... The identity of the monster that perpetrated the attacks, but he won't speak of it. Maybe he also can't spell it, just like Hagrid can't spell Voldemort. <laughs> right. What do you think? Apparently, spiders, too, have a foe who must not be named, and the monster who dwells beneath the castle is just the one. We do not speak of it. He tells the boys that he doesn't even—I don't even tell Hagrid about this. And Hagrid's, like, the only, literally the only person I like. Hagrid got you a wife, Aragog. Listen, I don't care. What about reciprocity? I'm not speaking of this thing. Later, Harry will note that the monster sounds like a kind of creature version of Voldemort. But what kind of creature is it? What is it? At Hogwarts, there are always more reveals around the bend because everyone keeps secrets. And the castle does, too. Secrets and lies. I love it. In nearly every genre story, right, kind of story, fantasy story, crime story, sci-fi, there comes a moment very often in the climax of the story when a villain confronts a hero and instead of, like, killing the hero, decides to monologue, thus telling the hero and us, the audience, everything we need to know. So it goes with the Aragog scene, and so it went with Quirrell Voldy at the end of Sorcerer's Stone, and so, too, it will go with Tom Riddle more on that in a second. It's a trope and often a necessary one, especially for books aimed at younger readers, but sometimes the most satisfying revelations are the ones that open up when the hero and the reader take an active role, discovering the clues on their own. There's nothing more fun than sleuthing, guys, on the internet. That's why people love Lost, they love Westworld, they love Game of Thrones. During Aragog's exposition dump, he mentions that the girl who died was killed in the bathroom. Mm. Harry could have responded to Aragog's decision to let his children eat Harry and Ron in their Anglia-assisted escape by never thinking about his horrifying near-death experience again. But Harry, he wants to know more. He wants to understand. He's thinking about it. And it takes him a little bit. You know, once the adrenaline of the rollicking escape fades, he makes a connection. Uh, who's that one dead girl we know who hangs out in a bathroom? It's Moaning Myrtle. Chapter 16. The Chamber of Secrets. When Minerva McGallion McGonagall shocks the school by announcing that exams will still take place, they won't. <laughs> Love when Hermione wakes up and finds out there are no tests and is like, oh, fuck. There is an amusing moment of introspection for Harry when he realizes that he cannot recall a single thing he's learned this school year. Shocking from our guy. <laughs> Harry certainly has moments over the course of the series where he does learn things from books Septum and from teachers. Septum, <laughs> Septum Zembros for one. He learns that one. Yeah. Tough stuff. Lupin's Defense Against the Dark Arts Lessons in Year 3 will be our first chance to really see young Harry engage with his magical education, with his actual coursework. But for Harry... Pretty consistently, the real learning, the real revelations occur outside of the classroom. Classroom of life, you know? Yeah. School of hard knocks. <laughs> Harry briefly <laughs> thinks that such a moment will occur in the Great Hall when Ginny comes over looking so tense and nervous that she reminds Harry of Dobby in one of these tortured wow. states. McGonagall has just announced <laughs> that the Mandrakes are ready. Amazing note, by the way, from our researcher, Zach Cram. Are there just no mandrakes yeah. anywhere else that are ready? Like, what are we doing, guys? They had to wait an entire year for these? Should we look around the world, literally the world? <laughs> no, let's for just— Yeah, no, let's just leave Sprout to it for the yeah. entire school year and then check back in uh, at the end of the spring. The petrified victims will be restored that very evening. So what could Ginny need to say before that moment arrives? Ron's being pushy because he's Ron, but Harry leans in. 
conspiratorially. This kind of welcoming, I'm here with you, you can confide in me, Grace, helps Harry secure so many reveals over the years. Ginny, hold me. Put your arms around me. She's got that great tight grip from choking those roosters. Jesus. (laughs) We call it strangling the cock. (laughs) Jesus Christ, Ginny. (laughs) Fucking palms like a longshoreman. What the fuck have you been doing? What do you think this is the first cock I've strangled? (laughs) Strangled like a gaggle of cocks in Hogwarts. To make sure the basilisk was free to roam. <laughs> Sadly, we do not get a reveal here because Percy ambles over right at this moment and commandeers Ginny's seat, sparking a highly amusing exchange in which Percy reveals that Ginny, quote, walked in on me the other day when I was, uh, well, strangling the cocks. <laughs> Well, never mind. The point is, she spotted me doing something, and I um, asked her not to mention it to anybody. The real Chamber of Secrets in this book is uh, wherever Percy goes to, uh, <clears throat> quote-unquote, uh, polish a prefect badge. That's what he's doing. <laughs> Speaking of that, the bathroom being the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets is a fascinating creative choice, as far as I'm concerned. One that, I'm guessing, seemed quite natural to the primarily young audience of this book when it was released. The bathroom is often the only place that young people can find any sort of privacy. There's a lock on the door. You don't need an excuse to be in there unless you're in there for several hours like Percy. And Harry and Ron, aided by Lockhart's idiocy, mark my words, he said, ushering them around the corner. The first words out of those poor petrified people's mouths will be, it was Hagrid, end up dishing their chaperone, and after a quick story to the surprisingly touched and gentle McGonagall, wind up at Hermione's bedside after being diverted from trying to sneak to Myrtle. Harry sees a scrap of paper in Hermione's hand, which we noted before. No one else noticed because is people are ex- really weird. extremely <laughs> <laughs> just not paying attention to details. You think at this point they're just like, well, there are no mandrakes anywhere. What's that? We're is not that... going to be able to solve this for months. Don't even bother inspecting the body. Let, let me say one thing. Hermione's 12 at this 12, point? 12, yeah. Think about the size of a page from a book. Right. Come on. It's crumpled. And also the words on that page that they read are like significant. Yeah. Anyway. So the page talks about the basilisk, king of serpents, which can grow to gigantic proportions and live for hundreds of years. Its fangs carry a deadly venom, and anyone who locks eyes with it dies instantly. Page notes only one weakness, the crowing of cocks, (laughs) a.k.a. roosters, (laughs) and that spiders fear the basilisk. On the page, Hermione has scribbled an answer for how the massive snake has been getting around the school. Pipes. More on those pipes in the seven. Puzzle pieces fall into place for Harry and Ron. Aha! That's why I've been hearing that voice all over the place and nobody else has heard it, says Harry. It's because I understand parcel tongue. That's why the spiders have been fleeing. That's why Hagrid's roosters have been killed. And the basilisk victims survived because, by happenstance, none of them looked the snake directly in the eye. Mrs. Norris saw the reflection in the flooding bathroom water. Annoying little Colin Creevy, rest in peace, saw the snake through the lens of his camera. Justin Finch Fletchley saw the snake through nearly headless Nick's gauzy form. And Hermione, who clearly knew what she'd be up against, that's why she ran away to the library, warned Penelope Clearwater to use a mirror to look around corners. And they both happened to see the snake in the reflection in that moment. Hermione is a genius. She's good. Unbelievable. There is something poetic 
about the basilisk being able to kill with its stare. What is a revelation, really, if not finally being able to look the truth fully in the face? The fact that the beast that is stalking the school in this book represents the fatal threat that stems from gazing upon the thing in question of, in other words, finally seeing the matter clearly is surely no accident. Only when we tear the cobwebs off our eyes and break down the barriers can we really understand what we're facing in life. Just as Harry and Ron are about to share this revelation with McGonagall, they've gone to the staff room to find her, her voice echoes through the halls. There's been another attack. Why Harry and Ron decide that the right choice in this moment is to hide in the wardrobe (laughs) to spy on the teachers rather than just to wait and say, what What? information do you have? We're going to tell you what we have. Very unclear. But they learn that Ginny is the student who has been taken below, and McGonagall relays the heir's latest message. Her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. Note how each teacher responds to this information. Quote, Snape gripped the back of a chair very hard and said, how can you be sure? Everywhere in these stories, even in the most seemingly basic description of body language, there are clues, reveals for us, the reader. Snape actually cares. It's right there in that language. Note, too, how all of the teachers react when Lockhart shows up late. (laughs) Quote, he didn't seem to notice that the other teachers were looking at him with something remarkably like hatred. Unspoken, all of these teachers fall into a routine together, goading him. It's getting out of their hair at last. None of them need a reveal about Lockhart. They don't need the confirmation that Harry and Ron are about to get. They know that he's a fraud. Quote, he didn't look remotely handsome anymore. His lip was trembling. And in the absence of his usually toothy grin, he looked weak-chinned and feeble. Harry and Ron don't yet fully understand what's happening, but they know they have to act. So they go to Lockhart who, based on what they overheard from the wardrobe, was ostensibly put in charge of a rescue mission. And they are like, we have information to tell him. This will help. Let's go to him. Meanwhile, this guy's like, I'm getting out of town. I'm packing my shit. He gives them a mini monologue about his whole life, which is great, telling them, hey, guys, P.S., I'm a fraud. Right. And I got to get out of here. But being a fraud is hard work. Yes, it's hard work, <laughs> but boys. We've known for a while, basically since the beginning, just in the way he's acted, that Lockhart is a phony and a fraud. The danger of the moment, however, reveals another more villainous, more insidious aspect to his character. Lockhart is fully invested in his lies. They form the basis for his celebrity and his career. He must protect those things at all costs. And to protect them, he is more than willing to sink to physically attacking Ron Attempting to wipe the minds of two children, perhaps leaving them in danger down in the Chamber of Secrets to be devoured by a snake. (laughs) Truly a piece of garbage, Gilderoy Lockhart. Harry disarms him and Ron throws the wand out the window. They lead him to Myrtle's bathroom, where the chamber's entrance is finally revealed to them and us alike. After questioning Myrtle, Harry speaks Parseltongue to the snake that's scratched into the tap on the sink that nobody else has found. And a massive pipe reveals itself. There's one reveal that we don't need. One thing that we never had cause to doubt, and that's Harry's courage. Quote, I'm going down there, he said. He couldn't not go, not now that they had found the entrance to the chamber. Not if there was even the faintest, slimmest, wildest chance that Ginny might be alive. Me too, said Ron. They slide down the pipe, pushing Lockhart ahead of them first. (laughs) And it's not long before they see the skin that the snake has shed. It's a, quote, vivid poisonous green. And it is massive. Harry estimates that the beast who shed it must be 20 feet long. 
This monster has been a phantom all year. It's heard only by Harry. It's unseen by all but its victims, and even by them, indirectly, only as a reflection. And now, the shadow behind that fear is starting to be given physical form. They see this skin, and they're starting to understand what awaits them, and it is terrifying. Down in the chamber, Lockhart pretends to trip, then physically attacks Ron, stealing his wand, and again, for the second time now, tries to obliviate the boys. If any doubt remains at this point about what kind of man Lockhart is, this is the moment when it disappears. The adventure ends here, boys, he <laughs> announces. Also, Lockhart, if you're going to tackle somebody, if you're going to sneak attack somebody, don't yell, the adventure ends here. <laughs> I shall take a bit of this skin back up to the school, tell them I was too late to save the girl, and that you two tragically lost your minds at the sight of a mangled body. Say goodbye to your memories, you idiot. Just do it. Don't fucking do that. <laughs> fucking moron. But more than that, this is truly a heinous act. Yes. Savage evil. Luckily, Ron's wand, which has been broken all year and which his wealthy friend Harry Potter refuses to replace for him. <laughs> Good thing Harry's such a cheapskate, you know? Let's see. What if he purchased a, a functioning wand for Ron, they both would be devoid of Let's any see. of their memories. What does Ron need? The entire trolley, which is card of candy or a new wand? <laughs> nah, let's get the candy. Lockhart's spell backfires on him. It also caves in the tunnel, separating Harry on one side and Ron and the impacted Lockhart on the other. The amusing manner of his downfall. Next chapter, we'll see the result of this, by the way. Hoisted on his own memory charm, gazing about the dank tunnel deep under the school and asking the boys, odd sort of place, isn't it? Do you live here? <laughs> Should not overshadow the despicable depths that Lockhart was willing to sink to. And now a brief break for a word from our sponsors. So you just finished watching a Netflix series like Wild Wild Country or Evil Genius, and now that it's over, you can't stop thinking about the show. You need more of this story. You need You Can't Make This Up, the new podcast from Netflix about the true stories that sound too unbelievable to be real. Each episode features conversations between podcasters, journalists, comedians, and the people who made some of your favorite Netflix shows, including... Wild Wild Country, yeah. which follows the sex cult that took over a small Oregon town. And Evil Genius, the wild account of a pizza delivery man who robbed a bank with a bomb around his neck. They'll give an exclusive look inside their process, explore stories that they left out, answer your burning questions, and more. Plus, they'll talk about the upcoming season of Last Chance You, the Academy Award-winning series Icarus and the mouth-wateringly good chef's tape. You Can't Make This Up is available on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast destination. Go listen to, subscribe, and review You Can't Make This Up. And now, back to binge mode. Chapter 17, The Heir of Slytherin. Monologue time, part two. A lot of monologues. A lot of monologues. You need them. Harry enters the chamber. There he meets the mysterious Tommy Riddle. Mm, handsome. Quote, a weird misty light shining about him, not a day older than 16. Are you a ghost? Harry asks. A memory. Preserved in a diary for 50 years. Harry is still under the spell of Riddle's catfish. He asks Tom to help him with J. Tom, help me with this, please. <laughs> Very pretty slow. Slow on the <laughs> uptake. Let's see. You enter the Chamber of Secrets. Ginny is there, blacked out. And Tom Riddle, who is obviously not human, is standing there. And you're like, Tom, my guy, my good friend Tom, hey, who, I, who I know from that weird book I found. <laughs> Help 
me out, won't you? <laughs> Tom instead pilfers Harry's wand and proceeds with the revelations. He tells Harry, as they all do, don't they? Everything. How Ginny began writing in the diary and sharing her cares and worries, her crush on Harry and how Tom, wait, hold on, back up, crush on me? <laughs> and how Tom steadily seduced her mind. Tom's withering disdain for Ginny's thoughts and feelings is notable and despicable also. Love and doubt, care for one's friends and family. These are things that Lord Voldemort considers weak. So too does Tom Riddle. There's something worth exploring there as well about the way that Tom Riddle frames not only Ginny's words, as Jason just outlined, but also her relationship with the actual book. He says, I suppose the real reason Ginny Weasley's like this is because she opened her heart and spilled all her secrets to an invisible stranger. Later, he will mockingly quote her saying of the diary, it's like having a friend I can carry around in my pocket. Well, for readers, that's really hard to hear because that's how we feel about the books we love, isn't it? She's also the only daughter in a family of all boys. That's right. Tough stuff. Tough stuff. Tough stuff. 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 Really tough stuff. (laughs) Don't the stories that we love feel like friends in our pockets? You know, naturally, Tom Riddle does not think so. He has no room for real friendship. You know, not really. Nor for stories either. Consider Dumbledore's insight about how Voldemort shows his followers as little mercy as his enemies. Consider that Riddle, we will come to learn, is unfamiliar with the tale of the three brothers and the Deathly Hallows. Harry and Hermione hadn't heard the tale either, of course, but in Tom Riddle's case, it's not about being raised in the muggle world. As Dumbledore says in Hallows to Harry, quote, that which Voldemort does not value, he takes no trouble to comprehend. Of house elves and children's tales, of love, loyalty, and innocence, Voldemort knows and understands nothing. He's not reading stories. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't look to confide. He looks to rule, to dominate. That's it. His close-mindedness, his instinct to shame rather than support is at the heart of so much of his viciousness. When Harry first looks at Riddle, he thinks he was strangely blurred around the edges as though Harry were looking at him through a misted window. Tom, help me. (laughs) Thank God you're here. Later, as Riddle is monologuing, Harry observes that All the time he spoke, Riddle's eyes never left Harry's face. There was an almost hungry look in them, even in his 16-year-old form, when he was still a schoolboy, before his nostrils turned to slits and the red snake-like eyes had formed. Tom Riddle already appears to have some kind of animalistic hunger to him. When Riddle reveals his high, cold laugh, Harry feels the hairs rise on the back of his neck, and he notes that the laugh didn't suit the boy or any boy. Riddle, as his name implies, is a contradiction, an enigma, a puzzle that grows more horrifying and less human every time a piece snaps into place. Riddle tells Harry proudly, boastfully, that he charmed Ginny into trusting him. Quote, if I say it myself, Harry, I've always been able to charm the people I needed. Big clue there, big bit of foreshadowing for what we'll see in the memories in Half-Blood Prince and how he used that ability to charm to take the treasures that he needed. He tells Harry that he fed off Ginny's soul, and that as he grew stronger, he fed some of himself back into her. This is a hallmark Voldemort tactic. Possession, corruption, robbing his minions of their free will, bending them to his. Even his reveal that he hasn't cared about Ginny since Harry picked up the diary speaks to his character, or lack thereof, to the way that he treats humans like things, tools that he can use and then discard. Riddle tells Harry that only Dumbledore, then the transfiguration teacher, 
believed Hagrid and seemed suspicious of Tom. We'll learn in Prince, of course, that Dumbledore had reason to wonder about Tom long before. There's something off, very off and very ominous about young Tom Riddle. Riddle says that he knew it wouldn't be safe to try to open the chamber again with Dumbledore in his case. Quote, but I wasn't going to waste those long years I'd spent searching for it. I decided to leave behind a diary, preserving my 16-year-old self in its pages so that one day, with luck, I'd be able to lead another in my footsteps and finish Salazar Slytherin's noble work. Say this about Voldemort. He's a planner. He's quite a planner. (laughs) This is crazy to consider. Dumbledore devoted the final years of his life to hunting horcruxes and ending Voldemort. He was also a key part, spurred the creation of the diary. Unbelievable. Yeah. It really is. Riddle's next reveal has massive implications, not only for this book, but for the entire series. Quote, from everything Ginny has told me about you, I knew you would go to any lengths to solve the mystery, particularly if one of your best friends was attacked. He knows, just after learning about Harry from Ginny's diary entries, that Harry has to try to save people. Riddle is already using Harry's hero complex against him, as Voldemort will again in Order of the Phoenix when he banks correctly on the likelihood that Harry will go to save Sirius. Even Harry's best friends point out this flaw to him throughout the books, you know, after he wasted time at the Triwizard Tournament's second task, playing the hero. Something about water? Hi, Kale. When they're trying to talk him out of rushing to the Ministry of Magic in Book 5, etc., 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 Harry's desire to fight, to save other people even at great personal cost to himself time and time again, it's what makes him who he is. It's what allows him to walk into the Forbidden Forest and Deathly Hallows to sacrifice himself for those he loves. It's also something that his enemies try to use against him, often successfully. Tom Riddle says, I knew you'd come. I have many questions for you, Harry Potter. And why did Harry come? Because Ginny's rough hands around his... (laughs) Why did he want Harry to come? He has questions. How is it that you, a skinny boy with no extraordinary magical talent, managed to defeat the greatest wizard of all time? How did you escape with nothing but a scar while Lord Voldemort's powers were destroyed? And here we get one of the best reveals in the entire series. Voldemort, says Riddle softly, is my past, present, and future Harry Potter. And he uses Harry's wand to write Tom Marvolo Riddle, waves it, the letters rearrange, I am Lord Voldemort. He tells Harry he was already using the name at Hogwarts, but only among his closest friends, or what he believes to be friends, or what he calls, probably, calls calls friends, but he doesn't consider them friends. You think I was going to use my filthy muggle father's name forever? I, in whose veins run the blood of Salazar Slytherin himself, through my mother's side. (laughs) Very specific. (laughs) (laughs) I keep the name of a foul common muggle who abandoned me even before I was born just because he found out his wife was a witch? No, Harry. I fashioned myself a new name. A name I knew wizards everywhere would one day fear to speak when I had become the greatest sorcerer in the world. That's how gamers get their gamer tags also. <laughs> Harry is staring at the boy who would go on to murder Harry's own parents. But this boy, too, was defined by losing his parents. Again, similarities that find while the choices differentiate. Somehow, in this moment, after that reveal, Harry finds the strength not only to speak, but to challenge the assertion. You're not, he says, meaning not the greatest sorcerer in the world. Harry's standing for Dumbledore, taunting Riddle saying, even when you were strong, you didn't dare and try to take over Hogwarts. That's 
true. And it will be true again after Voldemort's rebirth. He will wait until Dumbledore's death to hit the school directly. Some of his minions go in Half-Blood Prince, but Voldemort doesn't go himself, and certainly not with his full forces until Hallows. Riddle counters Harry's challenge. He says, Dumbledore's been driven out of this castle by the mere memory of me, but Harry will not back down. He's shouting. He's not as gone as you might think. And there is desperation in those words. There is a fierce desire for Harry to hold on to this belief as a tether to life itself. He has no choice but to think that that's true. What else is left to him at this moment? But he does really mean it. And Harry's Dumbledore advocacy gives way to music, filling the chamber. Phoenix song. (laughs) Fox has arrived, and he's brought the sorting hat. Much more on Fox in a bit. Riddle isn't afraid. He, like, barely notices this. Oh, what the fuck is this? He is amused. This is what Dumbledore sends his defender, a songbird and an old hat, Do you feel brave, Harry Potter? Do you feel safe now? This is the quintessential Voldemort, dismissing and mocking things that he doesn't know the value in, often to his peril. But Harry's courage is mounting. He's no longer alone. He realizes that the longer he waits to act, the worse it will be. It's go time. He tells Riddle about Lily's sacrifice, a reveal that, interestingly enough, satisfies Riddle. To him, it means that Harry got lucky, essentially. This was no duel. It was an oversight on his part. He gives the first of many similar such speeches he'll give to this effect. So, your mother died to save you. Yes, that's a powerful counter charm. I can see now. There's nothing special about you after all. I wondered, you see. He also waters a seed that's already been planted in Harry's mind, continuing, because there are strange likenesses between us, Harry Potter. Even you must have noticed. Both half-bloods, orphans, raised by muggles, probably the only two parcel mouths to come to Hogwarts since the great Slytherin himself. We even look something alike. But after all, it was merely a lucky chance that saved you from me. That's all I wanted to know. He summons the serpent, which emerges from the statue's depths, much the way Nagini will from Bathilda and Hallows. Here it is at last, in full, the reveal of the monster that's terrorized the school all year. Riddle commands the basilisk to kill. Fox blinds the beast like a fucking champion, ridding it of its ability to kill with a stare and giving Harry a hope, a prayer, As Riddle screams to the snake that he can still sniff his prey, the thrashing beast knocks the sorting hat into Harry's hand. And here we are reminded of something that Harry's uncommon bravery often masks. He's a child. Yeah. A child who is alone and desperately afraid. But remember Ned's words. This is something Jason and I talk about all the time, one of our favorite themes. A man can only be brave when he is afraid. And Harry doesn't hesitate to ask for help. He pulls on the hat and begs for aid. And he feels something heavy hit his head. Blessedly, not concussed, he retrieves a gleaming sword from the hat. The basilisk lunges at him twice, missing. The third time, its aim is true. But so is Harry's. He rams the blade through the roof of the serpent's mouth, killing it. But one of the basilisk's poisonous fangs pierces Harry's arm. He can feel the poison coursing through his body. He can feel his vision fogging. Riddle, oblivious to the magic fox is working as he cries, healing tears into Harry's wound, comes over to gloat. It is... A great 
villain moment. So ends the famous Harry Potter, alone in the chamber of secrets, forsaken by his friends, defeated at last by the Dark Lord he so unwisely challenged. You'll be back with your dear mudblood mother soon, Harry. She bought you 12 years of borrowed time. But Lord Voldemort got you in the end, as you knew he must watch this. (laughs) <laughs> Considering the ball Voldemort has cast over the story so far and still casts over the Wizarding World, even all these years after his fall. At this point in the story, we don't actually know a ton about how he conducts himself. This speech, this perspective is hugely enlightening moment for readers. Voldemort always thinks he prevails. And if he doesn't, it was some weird chance, some accident. He believes in his mission and himself fully. He truly thinks that he is supreme and his mission just his victory predestined. I love that speech so much. Tommy Riddle's wrong. Harry's healing. Whoops. And once again, Voldemort is bested by something he fails to take seriously, the songbird and the hat in this case. This is a point we return to time and again because its importance is paramount. How could the greatest dark wizard of all time fail to account for what Lily sacrificing herself might mean? How could he believe that no one but him had discovered the secrets of the Room of Requirement? For the same reasons that he's bested right here in this moment, Riddle tries to recover from this oversight by saying that he prefers to kill Harry directly anyway. But just then, Fox flies overhead and drops the diary into Harry's lap. Without thinking, instinctually, Harry grabs the fang that he's ripped out of his own arm and stabs the diary with it. Quote, There was a long, dreadful, piercing scream. Ink spurted out of the diary in torrents, streaming over Harry's hands, flooding the floor. Riddle was writhing and twisting, screaming and flailing, and then he had gone. So many Horcrux clues here. The diary screams and bleeds like a living being. Riddle, who's talked to growing stronger and the food, the nourishment of souls, vanishes when his wrapper, his physical casing, is destroyed. Ginny wakes. She weeps and confesses all. She asks Harry about wedding venues. Fox leads them back out of the tunnel where Ron has cleared the rocks. One more reveal. Lockhart is done. His mind is jello. (laughs) Ron, the memory charm backfired. Hit him instead of us. Hasn't got a clue who he is or where he is or who we are. I told him to come and wait here. He's a danger to himself. Hello. Odd sort of place, this, isn't it? Do you live here? They do not. (laughs) No, (laughs) we're leaving now. Fox sticks out his tail feathers. They grab a hold and he pulls them up the pipe to McGallion's office. Chapter 18, Dobby's Reward. McGonagall is described as taking, quote, great steadying gasps, clutching her chest. Of course, she's so relieved that her seeker is alive. (gasps) My God. (laughs) Oh, my God. I had him to catch the snitch in the 15th minute. Oh, (laughs) Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, who thought their daughter was dead, are also there, and they are obviously overjoyed, extremely emotional. Who else is there? Dumbledore, back from suspension, just in time, and by just in time, we mean after everything has happened, beaming at Harry. After Harry's triumph, with a huge assist from Fox, in the chamber, Harry has something to reveal to Dumbledore, and this is a neat little reversal. Harry's the one sharing the information. Dumbledore is, on the one hand, actually genuinely asking What happened here? What can you tell me? And also, he sees that the thing that Harry is holding back is Ginny's role in this, and he wants to provide some cover for Harry and Ginny alike. And he says, what interests me most is how Lord Voldemort managed to enchant Ginny when my sources tell me he is currently in hiding in the forest of Albania. Where were those sources when he was hiding literally down the hall? (laughs) My guy, come on. Alas. Dumbledore is like Voldemort, a mysterious figure 
holding back secrets and layers of secrets. And he seems at times, because of that lack of concrete information about him, he seems at times all-knowing. And his great power pulsing beneath this stoic demeanor makes him seem full of possibilities, full of power, full of knowledge. And for most of the story, we only get hints of his abilities. Those hints come in the form of the way Hagrid and Dobby and many others speak about him, the reverence with which they speak about him, the way Rowling describes his eyes as kind of glittering powerfully. And so we and Harry can't help but perk up whenever he says anything at all. And it is quite surprising to hear him speak so openly of the things he does not know. Right. It was the diary, Harry tells him. And Dumbledore says, brilliant. Of course, he was probably the most brilliant student Hogwarts had ever seen. Mm. That's an incredible statement. Yes. And considering the authority and standing of the person saying it, very sobering as well. Yes. And consider also how that moment. Dumbledore receiving the diary, receiving this information, is described, quote, Dumbledore took the diary from Harry and peered keenly down his long, crooked nose at its burnt and saggy pages. We can tell that the thing that Dumbledore is holding in his hands has great significance to him. This is a reveal for Dumbledore, a moment when he needs to study, to inspect, and think about what he's seeing. Think about what dots he is starting to connect in his mind, what he's observing and realizing here will inform so much of what he understands or will come to understand about Voldemort's Horcrux plan and in turn informs so much about the course that Dumbledore sets Harry on. Mr. Weasley obviously is not thinking about Horcruxes here. He doesn't know anything about them, but he is still flabbergasted by the diary. And to Ginny, he says, haven't I taught you anything? What have I always told you? Never trust anything that can think for itself if you can't see where it keeps its brain. That line, even though it comes from someone who doesn't know about the Horcruxes, still carries weight because it further trains us to think about the diary, to think about this tool, this proxy of Lord Voldemort as a being. Dumbledore reveals more of what he knows about Tom Riddle. Very few people know that Lord Voldemort was once called Tom Riddle. I taught him myself 50 years ago at Hogwarts. He disappeared after leaving the school. Why is it that very few people know this information, by the way? Really good question. Wouldn't sharing this be helpful in the fight against Voldemort and his kind of evil, this evil bred from ambition and bigotry and nurtured in these halls of magical power? Here again, Dumbledore is sharing the absolute bare minimum of what he knows, and then he changes the subject. Hey, guys, let's have a feast. Uh, special awards to the services to the school for you two. Voldy had one, so you can each have one. And 200 <laughs> points apiece. Great. All right, guys, let's break it up. Before Dumbledore dismisses Ron and Lockhart, he asks why Gilderoy is being so modest, because, of course, Gilderoy should be like, well, yes, I discovered the chamber myself. These two boys happen to be there. Ron explains the backfiring charm. Impaled upon your old sword, Gilderoy. So there's the proof that Dumbledore did in fact know about the memory charm con that Gilderoy had been running. And he let the dude teach anyway. Okay, great. Now alone (laughs) with Harry, Dumbledore thanks him for the loyalty he showed him. Nothing but that could have called Fox to you. And then probes further. So you met Tom Riddle. I imagine he was most interested in you. Mm, I love that line. That gives me a chill. The words tumble out of Harry's mouth. Professor Dumbledore, Riddle said I'm like him. Strange likeness, he said. Did he now, said Dumbledore, looking thoughtfully at Harry from under his thick silver eyebrows. And what do you think, Harry? Harry says more loudly than he intended that he doesn't think he's like Voldemort. He's in Gryffindor. But then he gives in to the doubts. 
sharing that the Sorting Hat did want to put him in Slytherin. Everyone thought he was Slytherin's heir because he can speak to snakes and all that stuff. The next exchange is brief but immensely important. Dumbledore shares his supposition that the reason Harry can speak Parseltongue is that a piece of Voldemort imprinted itself on Harry when he attempted but failed to murder the baby boy. Quote, unless I'm much mistaken, he transferred some of his powers to you the night he gave you that scar. Not something he intended to do, I'm sure, Harry says. Voldemort put a bit of himself in me? Dumbledore says it certainly seems so. He then soothes Harry's concerns over the sorting process. Sure, you can speak to snakes. You like to break the rules here and there. You're resourceful and determined. All traits Slytherin prized. But don't worry, young man, you're a true Gryffindor. The hat put you there. And then he says, quote, you know why that was. Think. And Harry says, because I asked not to go in Slytherin, right? Dumbledore says, here we go, this is key. Exactly. Which makes you very different from Tom Riddle. This is one of the iconic lines of the whole series. It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. And he tells Harry that if he wants more proof, he need only look at the sword. Harry examines it. It's Godric Gryffindor's. Dumbledore tells him only a true Gryffindor could have pulled that out of the hat. There's so much here in this exchange. The mammoth Horcrux clue in the Voldemort put a bit of himself in me line. Literally true, right? The theme here of the paramount of choice over destiny, which is perhaps the central proposition of the entire story. The idea that a true Gryffindor can call forth the sword, Shasta Neville. The commentary on Voldemort's recklessness and his lack of awareness and consideration. And, of course, Dumbledore's method of teaching Harry by forcing Harry to get there on his own. When he says, you know why that was, think. It's akin to saying, you have to figure it out on your own. I'm not going to tell you everything. You have to get there on your own. You have to say it out loud because only then will you be able to walk into the forest. That's what I want from a teacher of a school. <laughs> Dumbledore. <laughs> Says it's time for him to free Hagrid from Azkaban and put a posting in the prophet for a new defense against the dark arts teacher. Only lightly jinxed position, 40,000 galleons a year, and it's time to feast. But as they're readying to go, Lucius Malfoy arrives and he's with Dobby. Aha, at last, the Dobster family reveal and the reveal of how the diary got to the school in the first place. Lucius, Harry says, with an assist from Dobby's telling eyes, put the diary in Ginny's possession that day in Diagon Alley before the school year. Lucy says, prove it. Aha, uh-huh, you can't prove it, can you? <laughs> and turns to go. Meanwhile, doesn't like mind reading exist in this world? What's happening? Okay. Kicking Dobby over the threshold. Harry can't stand bullies. Even after his desire to save Ginny led him to face Voldemort, he's still up for one more rescue mission, Dobby. It's who he is. He asked Dumbledore for the diary and Dumbledore's like, yeah, whatever. What? The talk crux? Yeah, take it. Go ahead. Dumbledore gives <laughs> Dumbledore gives it to him. Sure. Harry, thinking quickly, peels off his filthy sock, puts the diary into it, catches up to Malfoy, hands him the stinky package. Lucius tears the sock off, tosses it aside. This was Harry's plan. And after Malfoy tells Harry, you'll meet the same sticky end as your parents one of these days, Harry Potter. They were meddlesome fools, too. How is this guy not an Azkaban? <laughs> it's crazy. He summons Dobby, but the elf does not move. He has been given clothing. He is free. He was holding up Harry's disgusting, slimy sock, looking in it as though it were a priceless treasure. And to him it is. Harry's freeing of Dobby is among the most impactful decisions of the entire series. It will end up as one of the story's emotional through lines, so much so that it's easy to overlook the irony of Potter's methods. Lucius, recall, used a ruse to slip the diary 
then a means of mind control, dark mind control, to Ginny. Harry uses that same diary as a ruse to slip the key to freedom to Lucius, who he knows would then, in disgust, throw it away, perhaps, hopefully, giving it to Dobby. And after Dobby uses powerful magic to protect Harry from Lucius, he provides a final loop-closing reveal. Why did he say that this thing had nothing to do with he who must not be named? It was a clue, sir, <laughs> said Dobby, his eyes widening. The fucking eyes are constantly, how wide can these eyes get? All they do is widen. It's literally all they do. <laughs> they are the size of tennis yeah. balls. Was giving you a clue, sir. The Dark Lord, before he changed his name, and could be freely named, you see. So, Wendell, like, very few people know one of them is Dobby. <laughs> It's truly wild. Who knew about this? Well, let's see this me. Uh, Dobby. Wait, Dobby? (laughs) What? And then, on the Hogwarts Express ride home, with the gang practicing disarming and Harry, quote, getting very good at it. Ah, indeed. Yes. We get the biggest reveal of all in the entire book. What Ginny walked in on Percy doing? (laughs) Oh, that, said Ginny, giggling. Well, Percy's got a girlfriend. Ah, so that's who he was writing to all summer. That's who he was meeting all over the school in secret. I walked in on them kissing in an empty classroom one day. Aha. Mal, this is what Dumbledore sends his defender, a songbird and an old hat. Do you feel brave, Mary Rubin? Do you feel safe now? Either way. Please toss the invisibility cloak over our heads and lead us into the restricted section to teach us what we need to know about songbirds, phoenixes in particular. Phoenixes. Once upon a time, binge mode Game of Thrones reached its burning day. But then it rose from the ashes, born anew as binge mode weekly, and now binge mode Harry Potter. What can we say? We were inspired by Fox, one of our favorite magical creatures in all of literature. We're not the only ones with a fondness for this red and gold beauty. Throughout real-world history, the phoenix has stood as a symbol of renewal and rebirth, making it a fitting emblem for the Harry Potter saga, in which sacrifice and survival are so elemental. In a 2000 interview, J.K. Rowling said that if she could choose a wand, she'd want one containing a phoenix feather, which is why she gave that core to Harry. And in a 2004 Q&A, she said that phoenixes are her favorite magical beast, full stop. We can't mention the word beast without shouting out our dude, Newt Scamander, who, in his textbook Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, shares that the Ministry of Magic classifies phoenixes as XXXX4X on their 1 to 5X scale. This is not because phoenixes are aggressive, as is the case with many creatures in the multi X range. In fact, they're herbivores who, according to Newt, have never been known to kill, but rather because so few wizards have managed to domesticate them. We know from Dumbledore, however, that when phoenixes are domesticated, quote, they make highly faithful pets. In addition to their loyalty, the swan sized birds with golden beaks and talons. Handy for poking out basilisk guys. And peacock-length tail feathers are extremely clutch companions in numerous other respects. They're capable of carrying heavy loads. Their tears have the power to heal. They can disappear and reappear at will in bursts of flames and take whoever is holding them along. And their song is magical, fueling courage in the worthy and fear in the wicked. Best of all, 
Phoenixes regenerate, bursting into flame when they die and then rising again from the ashes. Harry first meets Fox in chamber on just such a day from Dumbledore. Quote, it's a shame you had to see him on a burning day. He's really very handsome most of the time. Wonderful red and gold plumage. That plumage, of course, isn't just nice to look at. Phoenix feathers are one of the three magical substances that Ollivander uses to make his wands. They're the rarest core, and according to J.K. Rowling on Pottermore, quote, the pickiest when it comes to potential owners. These wands are the hardest to tame and to personalize, she says, adding, and their allegiance is usually hard won. She also notes that, quote, phoenix feathers are capable of the greatest range of magic and that, quote, they show the most initiative, sometimes acting of their own accord, a quality that many witches and wizards dislike. Harry's wand core didn't just come from any phoenix, though. As we learn in Goblet of Fire, when Harry recounts the instance of prior incantatum that occurred at the graveyard, Harry's wand feather and the twin that resides in Voldemort's wand both came from Fox. While that discovery is a crucial moment for the Harry-Fox bond, it's far from the only key bit of Fox action or intel in the series. In Half-Blood Prince, one of the most beautiful and sad passages, Fox's lament gives Harry's mourning for Dumbledore form. Quote, and Harry felt, as he had felt about Phoenix Song before, that the music was inside him, not without. It was his own grief turned magically to song that echoed across the grounds and through the castle windows. At Dumbledore's funeral, Harry thinks he sees a phoenix in the white smoke issuing from the tomb. In Order of the Phoenix, Fox's feathers carry messages and warnings, and he helps Dumbledore escape from the Ministry's clutches by vanishing himself and his human in a flash of fire. Later, at the actual ministry, Fox serves as a shield for Dumbledore in the battle against Voldemort, swallowing a killing curse whole. That's love. A note to further illustrate how special the tie between Dumbledore and Fox is, J.K.R. has said on Pottermore that it's exceedingly rare for someone's Patronus to be a magical creature. Yet we know that Dumbledore's is a phoenix. What a lord. He also as we know, assumed the phoenix as the sigil of his fighting force, the Order of the Phoenix. The bird is also used as a symbol elsewhere, as four 40-foot-tall phoenix statues are located in the Bakuza lobby. But in the Harry Potter saga, that imagery always feels like it carries the most weight when it's associated with Dumbledore. Elsewhere, in Goblet, as Harry and Dumbledore are discussing what transpired at the graveyard, Fox yet again heals Harry's wound, this time one suffered when a spider bit Harry during the third task. And in Chamber, as we'll outline in more detail later, Fox plays a pivotal role in defeating Riddle and the Basilisk, saving Harry's life. Fox begins to rescue Harry before he drops the sorting hat or cries his magical tears, though. He does it first with his song. The moment he arrives in the chamber in a burst of flame, quote, it was eerie, spine-tingling, unearthly. It lifted the hair on Harry's scalp and made his heart feel as though it was swelling to twice its normal size. Phoenixes typically nest in Egyptian, Indian, and Chinese mountains. But we and Harry alike are lucky. Lucky that Fox wound up in an office, in a castle, on a hilltop high. Jason? Yeah! You're the Defense Against the Dark Arts podcaster! You can't go now! Bye. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Not about the dark stuff going on here. Well, I must say, I, when I took the job, nothing in the job description, uh, I didn't expect. You mean you're running away? Just when it's time to split our nuggets, if not our souls, by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from Chamber Chapters 15 through 18? Because seven remains the most powerfully magical number. Stay.
Please, but I'll go first. Ah, the adventure ends now! (laughs) (laughs) Number one. Many people have asked, not unreasonably, how a chamber built thousand years ago could be connected to the main thoroughfares of the school by indoor plumbing, which, you know, did not widely exist a thousand years ago. J.K. Rowling naturally has addressed this from Pottermore. Quote, When first created, the chamber was accessed through a concealed trap door and a series of magical tunnels. However, when Hogwarts plumbing became more elaborate in the 18th century, parentheses, this was a rare instance of wizards copying muggles because hitherto they simply relieved themselves wherever they stood and vanished the evidence. We'll come back to that momentarily. This is truly disgusting. <laughs> what wizards and witches? What? Maybe that's part of why they wear robes so they can just, just dump just... out right on the ground. Excuse and then me, wand wave. Excuse me, I'm gonna shit outside. <laughs> <laughs> shit in the hallway. Excuse me. <laughs> Where is he shitting outside? <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> okay, not more on that in a minute. We handled it right there, much like the wizards used to. J.K.R. continues, the entrance to the chamber was threatened being located on a site of a proposed bathroom. The presence in school at the time of a student called Corvinus Gaunt. <laughs> Tough stuff, that name. <laughs> Direct descendant of Slytherin and antecedent of Tom Riddle. Explains how the simple trapdoor was secretly protected so that those who knew how could still access the entrance to the chamber even after newfangled plumbing had been placed on top of it. She has an answer for everything. Fucking legend. Number two. Another question many have asked, and JKR, by the way, has answered in a few different spots, including on Twitter. If basilisk venom kills horcruxes, why was Harry still a horcrux at the end of the story? Yes. Spoiler. (laughs) Her answer from Twitter, the horcrux receptacle has to be destroyed beyond repair, so Harry would need to have died. This, and listen, I would never besmirch the great, literally the great. I think she's incredible. Incredible. But this is definitely one of those, whoops. (laughs) I didn't think of that eight years ago when I was writing that book. Shouts to Fox, though, you know? He kept Harry and the plot alive. Yeah. Number three. Dumbledore says to Harry, quote, because Lord Voldemort, who is the last remaining descendant of Salazar Slytherin, end quote, ah, 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 but too bad Dumbledore wasn't around to read Cursed Child. Not canon. (laughs) Because in... Terrible. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Not canon. <laughs> Voldemort, we learn, has a child. So he is not <laughs> her last remaining descendant of Salazar Slytherin. His daughter, Delphi, is. Not canon. Number four. <laughs> Some Draco Snape Dumbledore half-blood prince foreshadowing. Mm. I always thought father might be the one who got rid of Dumbledore, he said, not trying to keep his voice down. Fucking little Malfoy motherfuckers. <laughs> I told you, he thinks Dumbledore is the worst headmaster the school's ever had. Maybe we'll get a decent headmaster now, someone who won't want the chamber's secrets closed. McGonagall won't last long. She's only filling in. Draco asks Snape why he doesn't apply. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, well, you know. Don't blow my cover, kid. Get out of here, kid. <laughs> yeah, kid. Of course, the Malfoys did actually spur Dumbledore's exit from Hogwarts and the installation of Snape as headmaster. Number five. Harry gives Ron and Hermione the Dursley's phone number (laughs) as they're saying their farewells. He says, I told your dad how to use a telephone last summer. He'll know. Well, 
Either Harry did a really bad job of explaining this or Arthur did not pass along that lesson to Ron because this will backfire majorly at the beginning of Prisoner of Azkaban when Ron calls Harry at the Dursleys and Vernon detaches from reality in rage. Again, Arthur Weasley is a man who studies muggles. (laughs) And he's like, what's a phone? (laughs) This fucking guy. What has he actually studied? What has he done? Uh, Plugs. Number six. Many people on the internet, and by that we mean Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, think there's a Newt Hagrid connection. When Aragog says, I was not born in the castle. I come from a distant land. A traveler gave me to Hagrid when I was an egg. Hagrid was only a boy, but he cared for me. Hidden in a cupboard in the castle, feeding me scraps from the table. Do we consider that evidence? I don't know. So I guess the idea is that... Because of Newt's connection to creatures and the timeline, he could have been the one. What we know about Newt does not lead us to believe that while he certainly had a great interest in magical creatures, he was not keen on, like, giving them to random people. Though, if we can quote young Dumbledore from the Beast trailer, Beast 2 trailer, Newt, not a great follower of orders. Number seven. Fun little tiny yeah. thing here. A little Azkaban foreshadowing. Dumbledore says that chocolate is good for cheering someone up, and that will be a key part in the Lupin era of defense against the dark arts. Dementors are coming, but so is chocolate. Delicious. Mm. Yeah, I'm delicious. Mal, yeah? how is it that you, a skinny podcaster with no extraordinary magical talent, That's rude. managed to defeat the greatest wizard of all time? I suspect this week's winner had something to do with it. Every episode, we're going to honor the person or creature that compelled us the most. And today, we're dishing out some last-minute points and awarding the House Cup to Fox the Phoenix. Yes! Okay, we debated this one quite a bit. We went back and forth, and so we're going to very quickly here give the case for our two runners-up. First, the case for Harry. All right, our dude needed a lot of help, and he would quite literally— He literally, have- he literally begged for help. <laughs> would quite literally have died without some of that help. But he did once again show immense courage by going into the chamber and then fighting Riddle's monster. He was not afraid to ask for help, which, you know, you could argue is a credit to him. He killed the basilisk with Godric Gryffindor's sword. He ruined Tom Riddle's diary with the basilisk's fang, destroying, unknowingly, sure, but destroying a horcrux and saving Ginny, again, unknowingly, his future wife, but his future wife, from death. And though he won't discover this until much later, he gave Dumbledore an invaluable horcrux clue when he handed over that diary, which he then took back 30 seconds later, after yet again thwarting Voldemort's would-be return. Harry also found the courage to be vulnerable and honest with Dumbledore about the doubts eating away at him. And then he stood tall against Lucius, freeing Dobby from the oppressive Malfoys. What about the case for Dobby? He gained his freedom. So a true trailblazer there. Huge. And ultimately, while his methods were extremely misguided, he was well-intentioned and he showed immense courage by violating the laws of his kind, violating them certainly in spirit, if not in name, and very much Adrian (laughs) Woj-esque when ESVN said, you cannot tip picks. That's kind of what Dobby did. <laughs> he is fixated on. <laughs> he is lasered in on. All right. He tried to help Harry time and again, and by giving Harry the final clue he needed to connect Lucius to the diary, then standing up to his former master to protect Harry yet again. Great stuff from Dobby. Great stuff from Harry. But the greatest stuff of all came from Fox. Let's hear it for the dude without whom Harry would, again, quite literally, be dead. And thus, unable to confide in Dumbledore or free Dobby or hunt Horcruxes or marry Ginny. Let's hear it for Fox. His arrival fills the chamber with Phoenix Song and thus fills Harry with courage, with strength. His presence literally enables Harry to stand up and fight. Fox 
claws out the serpent's eyes as it's trying to kill Harry, thus buying him time to gather his wits and thereby robbing it one of its most lethal weapons, that ability to kill just on sight. Fox also brings into the chamber the sorting hat from which Harry pulls the sword of Gryffindor, which Harry then uses to stab and kill the basilisk. This not only kills the beast in that moment, but has massive endgame implications because, as we will learn in time, the goblin wrought sword imbibes that which makes it stronger. This is huge, meaning it imbibed the basilisk venom and is thus able to be used in the future to kill horcruxes, namely the locket and the guinea. Fox heals Harry's mortal wounds with his tears. And as Harry's recovering, Fox grabs the diary and brings it to Harry, inspiring Harry to stab and ruin the book, thus ending the threat of Riddle's memory returning to Earth. And also, as we'll come to learn, removing a horcrux from the board. How did Fox know? How did Fox know? That's great. How did Fox know? Then, instead of leaving, Fox could have been like, I've done my part, I'm out. But instead of leaving... He waits. He waits for Harry and Ginny, and he leads them down the tunnel. He's this comforting, shining, golden guard. And then he presents his tail feathers to Harry as Harry and Ron are sitting there like, how are we going to get out of here? Fox is like, I got you. And he uses his magical powers to carry Harry, Ginny, Ron, and Lockhart up out of the tunnel and through the chamber. He then leads them again to McGonagall's office. He is a guide a beacon of hope. And he also teaches Harry a really valuable lesson about faith and loyalty because only Harry's loyalty to Dumbledore called Fox to him in the first place. Shouts to Fox. What a guy. Great. Well, the adventure ends here, friends. We shall take a bit of this skin back up to the school, tell them we were too late to save Isaac Lee, our indispensable podcast producer, and Zach Cram, our irreplaceable researcher, and that you tragically lost your minds at sight of their mangled bodies. Say goodbye to today's binge mode. Yes. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are for the rest of this journey, and that you will join us again tomorrow when we will be discussing the Chamber of Secrets film adaptation. Till then, remember... She bought you 12 episodes of Borrowed Time, but Lord Binge Mode got you in the end, as you knew we must. Riddle opened his mouth, but froze. Music was coming from somewhere. 